Well, what comes to your mind when you look at this book? Actually, it's probably one of the more fancy-type fancy books. You don't see too many books that have leather or gold on the edges. And you know, Some books are like that if you go through a library. Some have a little have hardcover, paperback. But what is it that you think about when you see this book? And I think, well, people say, well, that's the Bible or that's the Word of God. But how do you view that book? I think for many people, they view it as a religious textbook. It's, it's our, that's our book. That's, that's the text. They may view this as a reference book. So if you've got a problem in life, there's probably a verse that you can go to and, and find something. We're always looking for some verse. I think it's many times used as a, a book full of proof text to back up your opinions. Now, you'd be surprised how many people do that. You can probably, whatever opinion you have, you can probably find a verse to support it if you take it out of context. Like we say, now, if you don't look too close, here's what it says. <clears throat> but very few people look at this book as one story. One story of the unfolding love of God. Because that's really what it is. And I think sometimes we see it as a reference book, a textbook, or a book full of proof texts that we can go to and find and, and get our facts or read a little bit. But we miss the fact that this is one story that God has written expressing His love to us. In the Old Testament, which is the first about half of the Bible, a little over half of the Bible, is a story of God's people. <clears throat> and and we, we begin this story of what we say the love of God expressed in redemption. It's a story of how how while God gave us the freedom to choose a free will that we chose to disobey God, to choose sinful things, we all do that. Adam and Eve did that. We all do that, and sin has consequences, and those consequences end with death. And God tells this story of how He redeems us, and He gives us eternal life. And he gives us abundant life, and he has a plan, and he has a home in heaven. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story if you read it as a story. The unfolding, revealing story of the love of God expressed to you. I hope you can see it that way. Now, the story of God's people in the Old Testament, there are many stories that make up the bigger story. It's like if you read a book or you, you watch a movie, there, there, there are stories within the, the big story. And there's one story in the big story that's a bigger story than all the other stories because it's told more times by more people and known by more than any other. And that is the story, the account of the Red Sea crossing. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in Exodus chapter 14. The series is entitled, Show Me a Sign. It's the heart cry that we have to God when we want to know He's real, He's there. And even in desperate times. Now, why is it that 
This story among God's people is the most familiar because they feel it the most as far in a deep way. Because there was a time when they were in an impossible, desperate situation. And God miraculously delivered them. So this is told more and more uh, as time goes on through the Psalms, through the New Testament, the desperate, desperate and impossible situation that ends with a miraculous deliverance. Now, if we bring the big story to this story, to your story, those are the three that I'd like for us to consider. The big picture story, the story of the Red Sea, and your story. Because God always brings it down to the personal level. And I'd ask, has there been a time in your life when you've been desperate, up against a wall, there was no way out, there was no hope? Now, I think during the course of a typical year, we go through difficulties and challenges and pressures and stresses that are hard for us. But sometimes there, there are those that we, we will never forget them. 21 years ago, it was 1996. I remember 1996 as being a year that I felt that way. Hemmed in, no way out, no way through, no answer that I could see. I felt that same way in 2013. That's that just four years ago. You can probably pick out some times in your life where you identify with what you're reading. You say, I, yes, I have felt that way. I have been in that place in my personal experience. And so you, you get into this story, and it, it's as if you're at that time, you're saying, Lord, show me a sign. Show me that you're real. Show me that you care. Lord, I need to know that I have your favor. I need to know if I'm doing the right thing. Is something wrong? We begin asking questions like, where are you, God? What are you doing? Do you care about what's happening? How can I go on? And our lives begin to take on characteristics of worry and fear and fret. And it's not an easy time. We come, become discouraged. Well, this is an amazing story, and rather read it to you. I'd like to just tell it because I'd have to read a long section of Scripture. But last week when Josh had finished up preaching through this confrontation that Moses had with Pharaoh and the ten plagues and God's deliverance out of Egypt, you think 430 years, these people had been slaves. They had been in bondage. They had been persecuted. They had been pressured. They wanted out. And now, God set them free. That's where we left them last week. Is they, they, are, they are coming out. They are coming out of the, the bondage, the, the land of slavery, and, and they are headed to the promised land. So what good things do you think will happen to God's people who follow His will? You know, I often think that. You know what, Lord, since... It's not, it's not like you'd actually say, you know, God owes me something, but you think, you know what, if I'm, if I'm reading my Bible every day and I'm praying and I'm doing the right thing and I'm following the Lord's will, He must just have a big blessing ahead of me. Well, it doesn't really go that way for them. 
they end up heading, they're heading to the promised land. So they're going to they're gonna head up to the coast. They call it the way of the, the Philistines. It's, it's the normal route. It's the shortest route. It's the easiest route. God doesn't send them that way. He sends them another way. Go figure. Probably didn't think a whole lot about that, but he, he took them up right up against the Red Sea. And then he said, I want you go, to go down to this spot, which made absolutely no sense because it put them in a place where they're incredibly vulnerable. And then God said, if I put you down here, Pharaoh will see that you will be trapped and he'll come and attack you. I say, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> I thought I was following God to the land flowing with milk and honey and his blessing because I'm in his will. We have made great sacrifice. We are launching out to do God's will. And where's the blessing? And so he sends them down to a place, and it, it, this is a physical description of it. You got the Red Sea on one side, okay? So you're not, you're not going to cross that. <laughs> you got a big body of water. And then you have on the other side, you have a desert. If you go out there, remember there are two and a half to three million people. And, and there are no drinking fountains along the way. On the other side, mountains. And now Pharaoh has said, what did we do? We let three million slaves escape our country. Let's go get them. So he gets his chariots, his army, and all of Pharaoh's army is now descending. So that's on the other side. So you got the Red Sea on one side, Pharaoh coming to get them, bring them back into slavery, the desert on the other side, the mountain on the other side. And what do the people start doing? Well, two things they do. They, they fear. <laughs> they start complaining. That's usually what we do. I mean, it, we don't have to work at doing that. We just, it's just natural. We're very, it comes very easily for us. When I get myself into a spot, I see no way out. I see nothing good that's happening. I start to get afraid. I get, I get fearful, and I start to complain. And this is what happens. The Lord said, the people are complaining. The Lord says to Moses, take your rod and stretch it over the Red Sea. And the winds began to blow and divide the Red Sea. And best as I can estimate by researching this with, with trying to get three million people across the Red Sea, it'd have to be at least a mile wide of people walking through the night. But all through the night, the wind is blowing and parting this sea and drying up the ground, and people are walking across this ground to the other side. Now, that would have been <laughs> a pretty amazing thing. Can you imagine being there to see such an incredible thing that happened? They get to the other side. They turn around and look. And there the Egyptian army is coming through right after them on this dry ground. I'm sure, again, fear, worry, what's going to happen and then God takes the waters and covers the Egyptian army and completely destroys them. It's interesting to read the archaeological finds. They come up every few years. You'll see they're discovering chariot wheels and places. All these chariot wheels, what are they doing here? <laughs> and God never wrote the Bible to kind of prove his existence. But as time goes on, you start to see these things start adding up. Secular historians write about this event. It's an amazing event. And now they have passed through. When I read this story, it, it is really a, a microcosm. It is a, a small 
picture of what God is doing on a grander scale. And I'd like to make a few observations this morning, just four of them that I'd like to just kind of bring home to us and for us to think about. When you're in that place, and I think that most of us will read the Bible with personal application. I, I try to do that. I try to keep it in context. This is what's happening to these people. This is how it's applying to me. When, when I find myself in a place that there is no way out, there is no hope, I become discouraged. I, I feel like, what is going on? Is God there? Do I have his favor? If I, if I lost his blessing, did I do something wrong? Here's the first observation. God knows where we are. God knows where we are. Right where you are. Now, how does he know where you are? Because he he led you there. (laughs) And it it, it does seem, you know, if you're not there, it's it's funny. Um, But if you are there, it's not so funny. But you think, what are we doing here? Well, God led me here. God, God put you in that spot. It may not seem this way that God knows where we are, but this is the way that it is. He has led us there. And look at verse 14 of, in the first two verses. I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse, first two verses. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihathroth, between Migdal and the sea, and in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. God ordered them, he led them into a difficult spot. It it doesn't really make sense because our our pragmatic minds would think, okay, next stop, you know, when when we're going to uh, Kansas City area, where my wife is from, uh, say, which way, we don't say, which way do you want to go? I mean, it's like, they're all the same, (laughs) it's just I-70, you know, now they do have a, a Starbucks at, uh, in Colby, um, but uh, it beats the Prairie Dog Village in Oakley. <laughs> you guys seen the giant Prairie Dog and the Five-Legged Cow, and we never did stop for those. But, I mean, it, 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 it does not make any sense. Humanly speaking, pragmatically, why would God, when, you're, when we're, we're supposed to go here, lead us here? That's not, that's not the way we go. But he led you there. He led you to a difficult place. He led you where you're facing the Red Sea, the army coming down on you, desert on one side, mountains on the other side, an impossible situation. And that will cause us to start asking questions. We think... God make a mis- either God made a mistake. We know well, God can't make mistakes. Well, I must have missed something. I must have really, I mean, I, have you ever felt that? I just must have misinterpreted God's will for my life. A.W. Tozer said, to the child of God, there is no such thing as an accident. He travels in a pointed way. Accidents may indeed appear to befall him and misfortune stalk his way, but these evils will so in appearance only are so only in appearance and will seem evils only because we cannot read the secret script of God's hidden providence. God led them there, and I love this part. He was there. <laughs> God led them there and he was there. We read about the pillar of cloud that was leading them 
by day and the pillar of fire that was leading them by night. And these were representatives of his presence. This is his presence. A couple weeks ago when Jason was preaching on the burning bush and the presence of God, the bush that was burning but it was not consumed, this was God introducing himself in a personal way to Moses. And now God is revealing himself in a personal way to his people. So yeah, you may seem to be in a tight spot, hemmed in on every side, doesn't make sense. You're trying to figure it out. God's there. He led you there and he is there. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isn't that an amazing verse? Now, sometimes I think in my mind, yeah, but I've kind of screwed up along the way. <laughs> I've made so many mistakes in my life. You know, I don't even know where I... Probably the reason I'm here is because I've messed up so many times. You ever felt that way? Maybe some of you aren't that way. But on the one hand, I can feel like, you know, the, the noble person that, you know, I've sold all, I've followed Christ, and I'm going to, you know, the best I'm doing, and I'm, I'm really living for God. You, you're having a time in your life where you're just really doing great. You know, reading your Bible, you're praying, you're going to church, you're being good, you're not, you know, no big sins, and you feel like, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. And you're figuring, why is all this happening? You can't figure it out. But sometimes you figure, yeah, I know what that is. <laughs> I know what that is. God's getting me back. And uh, it's because I've, I've messed up here, I've messed up there, and sometimes we can think that way. J.I. Packer said, Our God is a God who not merely restores, but takes up our mistakes and follies into His plan for us and brings good out of them. When you sin, when you mess up, when you take a wrong turn, when you completely botch the plan, God's not up in heaven going, ah, oh, what do I do now? No. In his sovereignty, he weaves all of this back into good. There's a New Testament verse that probably has become one of the favorite verses in all of the Bible, and that is Romans 8, 28. Here's what it says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that amazing? You think about that? Everything, not everything that happens in itself is good. We know that. We live in a world full of evil. But God is able to take all of those things, those events, those mistakes of your life, and weave them back for good. Have you ever thought back, you know, if you take a wrong turn, where does that, where do you end up? How many, how many wrong turns have you taken in your life? <laughs> I mean, how many, did you, how many wrong turns did you take yesterday or today? But God's not alarmed. He's not worried. God is sovereignly working in your life. And I and I think that that is such a comfort the fact that God knows where we are. He led us there. God there himself and he will deliver his people. How do you know that? Because he said it. And because God said it, he is proven to be true to his word. 
God has said, I will deliver my people. Do you remember the promise that he had made to Moses that he would deliver them and bring them out? But you have to recognize something, that when God says, I'm going to deliver you, he's going to do it in his own way and in his own time. It's probably not going to be the way you thought. So God's direction in your life, bringing you along through your life's experience, is probably not going to go the way that you had thought at first. So, first observation, God knows where we are. A second observation is that God has a purpose in what he's doing. And it's good. God has a purpose in what he is doing and is good. We see it unfold. In Exodus 14, verses 3 and 4, For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. This is God speaking. And he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. You begin to think about this. God's purpose. Someone said that it's almost like God kind of writes on the calendar on one of the days. I'll explain this later. <laughs> because it, it's not adding up. doesn't seem that that's the way that God would do it. We're starting to search for an answer to try and figure it out. But here's what he says. He's, he's doing something. And you notice this, what he says about Pharaoh that I'll I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. Other places it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Well, how can God harden Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened his heart? It's kind of an interesting play on words, but I think this this is what it is. God in his goodness and his mercy, by all those plagues, God, God is in his work trying to bring people to repentance. Pharaoh hardens his heart. God does something good again. Pharaoh hardens his heart. But, but God's goodness it is, is what is pushing Pharaoh to some kind of response. Because either you, you believe and accept or you reject what God is doing. And all through Scripture, we read these words that they might know the Lord. Back a couple of weeks to the burning bush experience. This is the first time when Moses is standing. He'd been in the wilderness for 40 years, probably not seen a lot of exciting things uh, in 40 years in, in the desert. And now he's got this bush that's, that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And the Lord speaks to him out of the bush. And the Lord introduces himself by a new name. It's Yahweh. It's a name for God that's a personal name. He said, in the past, you've known me by my name of God. You know, we think of the Almighty God, the Creator, many names for God. But this is the personal God. And the reason I am doing these things is that you might come to know me. And really, that's, that's the message of this book, that God wants you to know him. He wants you to know him personally. And Pharaoh's going to come to know him. And you're, you're either going to know him as your, your Savior, your Deliverer, your Lord, 
or you're going to know him like Pharaoh did and the Egyptians as your judge. Because what he presents must be believed upon or rejected. He's delivering people from slavery and bondage to the land flowing with milk and honey. What is God doing? God, God is delivering these people. He is bringing them to know him. He is teaching them about faith. Things like learning to trust. Now, I think that would do it. You know, you're hemmed in here. You've got, you've got Pharaoh and his army. You've got the sea. You've got the mountains, the desert, and just pressured in, and you're, you're crying out. Is this going to build faith? The Lord says, trust me. Trust me. Your dad ever do that to you when you're a kid? He's, you're up there, and you say, jump, jump. And you say, trust me. <laughs> kind of weighing this out. <laughs> but the Lord is, the only way you get really to, understand faith as if it gets tested unless it gets to where there's there's tension there he's teaching them about faith he's making them strong he's making himself glorious among the nations that people might come to him and experience his goodness through him they will also this people will be used to bless all the nations of the earth in psalm 106 there's a text i'd like for you to see Verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 106, it says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, the Red sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. You know, even when the people were complaining, God's still good. When, when your character isn't what it should be, that doesn't change God's character. God's still good. You mess up, God's still good. God's good anyway. And we see that. that. That's His mercy and that's His grace expressed to these people. So He knows where we are. He has purpose in what He is doing because God is really developing them, teaching them to trust, preparing them to enter into the promised land. But the third observation is this, that there is a bigger picture than what you see. And that is the storyline of the entire Scriptures. It is a picture of salvation, of deliverance. It is not just a, phys- a deliverance from a physical circumstance, but a spiritual and eternal circumstance. And this really is the theme of the Bible. The Bible's message is redemption. It is forgiveness. It is grace. It is the goodness of God. It is His ability to accomplish what we can accomplish. It is rescuing us from our dilemma, from our crisis. This is the broad message of the Bible. And if we look at Exodus 13, this is back one chapter, but verses 20 and 21 and 22, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So the burning bush, the cloud, the pillar of fire by night, this is God's presence. You say, well, how can, how can that story, the Red Sea, the pillars, the, the burning bush, all of these events, the Red Sea crossing, be speaking about redemption and Christ in the New Testament because, because it says it in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26, and this is really kind of looking back 
is we're looking back from New Testament to the, the Old. It says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Isn't that amazing? You say, what is, what is in seed form, and maybe we don't quite understand, what is he talking, what is this picture, what is this about? And the New Testament tells you what it's about. And probably one of the clearest verses in all the Bibles, John 14, 6. And it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, go back to this Red Sea experience. There's no way out. Army's coming down. And God makes a way. He divides the water and they walk across. It's a picture. It's a picture. It's something real, physical, and practical, but it's also a picture of something eternal, lasting, and personal. In the same way Jesus Christ, God has provided a way through His Son. It is the only way. It is the only way. And what's interesting, in the Gospel of John, there are, there are seven I am statements. When Jesus says, I am, I'm the light of the world, I'm the bread of life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am. It's the same word that is used in, in uh, Exodus 3 when God identifies himself as the personal God. I am. So when Jesus said, I am, he's basically saying, I'm God. I, I am the fulfillment of this. And I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And someone might think, well, there's got to be another way. You know, there are many ways, there are many ways to God. <laughs> it'd, be like, it'd be like Israel there in their predicament saying, oh, there are many ways out of here. Well, yeah, name one. <laughs> name one. We don't see that. He says, I am the way, and it is miraculous. It is a work of God that is miraculous. So the Red Sea experience is a picture of our salvation, but it is more than a picture of salvation. It is a picture of the way we live. It is the way we live the life, because the same way we come to Christ in salvation and eternal life by believing upon Jesus is the way we live. You don't, you don't come to Christ by, by trusting in Him and believing in Him, and now you've got a whole different way to live. It is the way that we live. In Psalm 77, verse 19, Diane was sharing this with me. We were kind of talking through all the passages that speak of this Red Sea experience through the Bible. And, and she said, read this in the NLT, you know, the New Living Translation. And she said that it's like God has shown you, you know, he has taken away that you did not see. In other words, there, there's, a road going, there's a road going through the Red Sea that you didn't see. Yeah, I, right. <laughs> and typically when God has you in that spot, there is a way through it you don't see. That's why you're so stressed out. And God begins to open that up and to make that clear. So he knows where we are. He has a purpose for what he is doing. And there's a bigger picture than what he has seen, than we see working eternal salvation. And then my last observation is there's, there's really only one right response. And that is to believe. There's only one right response. 
In Exodus 14, 13 and 14, it says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now, that's, that's just a, a loaded passage. Here's what Mo- Moses is, is God's representative to the people. He is telling them what God wants them to hear. He says, do not fear. That is the most often oft command in all the Bible. Fear not. Be not afraid, because when we get into the tight spot, personally or as a group, is what we do. We fear and we worry. And the Lord says, don't fear. Don't fear. Stand, and basically it says stand firm, is stand still. <laughs> it's like saying that to a kindergartner. Stand still. You know, I got I to gotta be doing something. I got I to gotta figure this out. I got well, to plan. I got to plan. The Lord says, stand still. Stand still. Sit still. And see the salvation of the Lord. And salvation means literally deliverance. Watch what God's going to do. Be still. And at the end of this verse, it says you only have to be silent. And I was reading this in one of the modern translations, and it says you only need to shut up. <laughs> I thought, I like that because it just kind of carries the, you know, because we, we want to talk, we want to do, we want to figure it out. And he says, be still and shut up. And watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do. And that's, that, if you bring this down to the personal level, this is what God's saying to you right now, when all you're trying to figure it out, you're worrying, you're anxious, you're, you're hemmed in around all these things, and God's saying to you, be still and shut up. And watch what I'm going to do. God's going to take care of all the threat, the enemies. You take care of it. He's going to provide a way for you of salvation. Isn't that amazing? I have a hard time sitting still. I have a hard time shutting up. I have a hard time not worrying. But, but this is what this place is about. God's not worried about getting you to the promised land. He's going to get there. He, he's working in you. We're trying to figure out, yeah, logistics, maps, practicality. I don't get this. God's working in you. That's what you need. You need to learn to trust Him. You need to learn to be quiet and sit still and let Him work and let Him do what He's going to do. You need to learn that. And this isn't just to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. This is how we live every day. It's almost like every day God's going to say to you, sit still and shut up and watch what I'm going to do. Now, I know some people will say to me, oh, God doesn't expect you just to sit around and do nothing. No, no. When it's time to get up and walk, he said, get up and walk across the, walk across the river or the, or the sea. Right? I mean, so obedience is a part of this. Faith is the core of the Christian life. How many of you know what Tuesday is this Tuesday? What's Tuesday? It's Halloween. Okay. It's also the day my grandkids are going to the other side of the earth, but five, this Tuesday, October 31st, 500 years ago, 
You know what happened? Okay. 500 years ago on Tuesday, Martin Luther went up to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, and he had 95 theses. We call them uh, complaints that he had, problems he had with the church. Now, at that point in 1517, you've got 1,500 years of history of the church. And you know what? The church had started to add a lot of stuff. That's just the way we are. We're helping God out. You know what? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. People would, if we would say that your salvation and getting to heaven is somewhat dependent on you being here next Sunday, okay, you don't want to lose your salvation and your tithing. Well, that sounds good. I mean, we're going to get good offerings, good attendance. I mean, if I could lose my salvation. Now, and for your sins, by the way, have you been sinning? Um, we've got a way for you to kind of ease the pressure of that sin by you paying a little extra. Now, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? We are so creative in helping God out. And this isn't just what we call the, the, the Catholic or the, the universal church. All the, 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 the church at large was like this. It had become very, very corrupt. And you add stuff to it, you add stuff to it. If, if I were to, to describe what, what is it the heart and soul of what Martin Luther nailed against the wall was this. At one point out of the Reformation, I mean, you could, there are volumes written on the Reformation, but this is what the Reformation was all about. Salvation, justification, is by grace through faith alone. Did you get that? Salvation, eternal life, is by grace through faith alone. Not by works, not by giving money, not by... I did all these things. You can't add one thing to what God has done. Otherwise, you destroy the whole of it. That's what the Reformation is about. And I think we need, in a sense, another one, because even the churches that are part of the Reformation uh, ended up going. We have this tendency to try to complicate it, to, to, to add to it. But it is by faith, by faith. Faith. I mean, all I do is like you shut up, sit still, stand back, and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, what God did is He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins, to give to you eternal life. See what He's done. And the only thing you do is say thank you. You believe. You have faith. It doesn't even have to be a great faith. It's just, I believe that. What is the evidence of faith? And I wrote down three things, I think. What, what is the evidence of faith? What does it look like? One is crying out to God. It's like, Lord, help! In the New Testament we read, Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is, it is the cry of a desperate person in the midst of a very difficult situation. I cry out to God. Two, it's trusting Him. I put my reliance upon Him. And three, I follow him. Follow him across the Red Sea. Follow him across the Jordan River. Follow him every day. This is what I do. 
We cry out to Him. We trust Him. We follow Him. So I would like this morning to conclude with this. This story. The story of the Red Sea. It's a great story. It's an incredible event in history of what God has done and what God is doing with these people to teach them, to help them, to deliver them. But I want you to see the bigger story because it is, it is the grand eternal story of God's deliverance and salvation for us. But the third story I want you to see is your story, your personal place in life. And when you feel desperate, you feel hemmed in, you feel there's no way to go. It doesn't make sense. I should have gone this way. Why didn't I go that way? Maybe God's judging me. No. Shut up. Be still. And see the salvation of the Lord. Because God is doing something. And God, and you're not, you can see all of it right now. And God, whatever God is doing, it is good. And He's going to get glory for it. And you're going to be blessed as a result of it. You know, this, this, this we need. We need to be reminded of this every day. Every day. This is why I think it has become such a popular account to be rehearsed. Charles Spurgeon, I'll end with this quote. He said, The Lord will make a way for you where no foot has been before. That which, like a sea, threatens to drown you shall be a highway for your escape. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you the way that you have so ministered to us in revealing yourself as a personal God. May we know you. May we come to know you, to walk with you, to experience the faith every day, to be silent, to be still, and to see the salvation of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.